welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Laura Ferrier. Today is November 2nd, and here's what's making our headlines in grain-related news this week. Grain Farmers of Ontario has congratulated the Canadian government and all parliamentarians for passing Bill C-79. That's the ratification of the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, otherwise known by the acronym CPTPP. Now, this agreement is fairly important for Canada overall um, and the agriculture sector um, as it's building some new relationships in emerging markets. And when we talk specifically about grains, Um, It's important to note that this agreement does have an impact when we look at uh, specifically barley and wheat. Um, So if we talk about Japan, we're going to have access to a specific quota for food wheat and um, the CPTPP-wide quota for food barley. So hopefully that'll start to see some increases to the Asian markets. Also in trade, Farm Credit Canada released a trade report that stated Canadian producers are weathering market volatility. Uh, So that is along the lines that commodity uh, producers are experiencing some price volatility due to the uncertain international trade environment. But in general, it shouldn't significantly impact Canada's long-term export potential. Um, And so that's really, really great news uh, moving forward into the future. And regular podcast co-host Megan McKimmy isn't here this week because she's in Minneapolis at the Syngenta North America Media Summit. She did send back a couple of notes, though, about what they're talking about there. First off, some major trends that they're following, which include the demand for agriculture products, the convergence of old and emerging technology, um, and just the fact that, in general, technology and agriculture is in high demand, and farmers are still struggling to figure out how to apply some of that new technology to their best advantage. Um, They're also looking at, uh, when we talk about new technologies, uh, the role that genome editing and digital agriculture is playing in today day's uh, world of agriculture. That's great. I'll be so curious to hear more about that trip when she gets back to the office. AgriCorp has released a report about understanding coverage for dawn and grain corn. If you are interested in this, please visit the AgriCorp website or gfo.ca. It's got some information on various production insurance, um, if your crop is affected by dawn, what to do, and uh, other various discount structures and um, how the programs work. We do recognize that this is a high dawn uh, harvest season. And so if you are struggling with that issue or you just have some more uh, questions in general, please do go to gfo.ca for some additional resources that you can access there. Coming up next on the podcast, we're going to stick with this theme of dawn in corn. And Laura is going to speak with Jack Legg from SGS Canada. Today we're joined by Jack Legg of SGS Canada, previously known as Agri-Food Laboratories. Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Laura. Pleasure to be here today. Uh, Jack, we've got a few questions for you on proper sampling of uh, high vomitoxin or dawn corn across the countryside. Can you explain to me how to properly sample corn on an on-farm perspective? Sure, I'll do my best, Laura, but uh, I'll admit it is challenging. Uh, With any kind of sampling where you're trying to get the large scale reduced down to a smaller sample size, it's important to be representative. In the case of corn for dawn testing though, it is quite challenging because the large volume that you're taking sample from is not necessarily homogenous. Infected corn kernels, for example, can be scattered throughout the load, throughout the bin or the truck, uh, and to get a representative sample of, of those is the challenge. So what's often best is to take multiple random 
uh, but representative subsamples. So that could be handfuls as you're unloading going into a 20 liter pail. Filling that pail with as many subsamples as possible, mixing well together, and then from that taking your final sample. Uh, the laboratory requires about 200 grams. So that's the challenge. Uh, and even with that said, a proper uh, representative sample could be variable uh, in results because, like I say, we're, we're talking about corn kernels that the amount that are infected are going to impact that final result. Thanks so much for, for letting us know that, Jack. There's a, it's so important to take those multiple samples. Um, when should farmers uh, be sampling? Should it be at the field, from the truck, after it goes into their bin? So I think, Laura, that when corn's coming off the field uh, and going into storage is a good time to take samples, especially if there's multiple storage units. Uh, they could be sampled independently. It's a good idea to have a a base test to understand what the level of dawn is on your corn on your farm before it goes to the marketplace. I just wanted to add one more thing that uh, although the the dawn levels are bad uh, this year in many cases we're seeing higher levels than than we've ever seen before. Um, I, I do want to reinforce the fact that it, it's not bad everywhere. Um, 65 to 70 percent of our samples are testing less than six parts per million. Uh, about 5 to 10 percent are testing in the range greater than 20 parts per million and that is very high but it, it's not all the corn I just think it's important to get that message out there that um, that growers of corn should have a test on farm to understand where they're at and that might help them in their marketing uh, activities after the fact for sure I can I can totally understand that it's important to know what you have and what you're dealing with and uh, if there are any concerns I believe uh, that we have been telling people to call Agricor at the first um, hint of, of any problems with uh, high dawn corn uh, Jack will drying heating freezing or applying any wonder chemicals uh, reduce mycotoxins in the grain well I wish there was a miracle cure out there but uh, I, I, I think you have what you have and there's no way of really reducing these dawn levels once they're, uh, once they're present in the corn. And once a sample has been obtained, what should the farmer do with it and how much should they be sending out to, to wherever? So once a, a good representative sample has been taken, uh, you can package that even in a plastic bag. 200 grams is what the lab would require. From that, we, we grind that down and we take a 10 gram subsample to go into the test kit. So 200 grams in a plastic bag is adequate. It should be sent in as quickly as possible. Uh, there's no special handling uh, required on that sample, but if you ship it in, then, it's, then most samples arrive overnight or the next morning. When should they expect their results to be back, Jack? We do try to prioritize dawn testing so that we're getting results back uh, in one to two business days. Volume sometimes impact that, but uh, uh, we do our best to get results out as quick as we can. That's great to know. Thanks. Um, can you tell me a little bit about SGS and what they offer for corn testing this fall in general? Well, SGS is a full-service agricultural laboratory. Uh, most in the, in the cropping world would know us for soil testing, plant tissue manure, but we also offer a full range of feed and forage analysis as well uh, from a nutritional standpoint for livestock. Anything else that the farmer should be aware of from your viewpoint going into this uh, corn harvest? Well... I understand there's a lot of uh, frustration out in the countryside. Um, I, I know that, that farmers often are especially frustrated when they see samples come back with varying results. Um, I, I just want to reinforce the fact that the testing that the elevators are doing, uh, the tests are accurate, lab tests are accurate. 
The problem is, as we mentioned at, at the very beginning, is the sampling. And because of the variability of dawn throughout uh, any storage or truckload of corn, uh, capturing those samples may result in different results. And I think it's good for the uh, growers to understand too that the people receiving the corn, uh, and they have to deal with that. And it, it may be easy to think that you can blend a 10 parts per million dawn level down with a, say, a two, and get a result somewhere in the middle, but that's not always the case, just because of that uh, heterogeneous nature of the sample itself. Just one more quick question. When farmers are handling high dawn corn, uh, what should they be aware of and what sort of uh, precautions are you taking in the lab when handling it? Oh, good question, Laura. So in the laboratory, we do, we do have um, personal protective equipment. When we're grinding the sample, uh, we're wearing respirators. We have dust collection units that will take dust away. And we're always wearing uh, latex gloves as well. When the farmers are out there t testing their own corn or sampling their own corn, and there's lots of dust around, and a lot of the uh, dawn can be concentrated on, on the dust in the fines, it's probably a good idea to wear some sort of uh, dust mask or, or uh, respirator if possible. And gloves are always a good idea. Um, I, haven't, I, I won't pretend to be a doctor. I'm not sure of what the health risks are to humans, but obviously we are dealing with something that does uh, have an impact on, on animals. So we want to be careful and, and make sure we're doing sample collection in a safe way. Thank you so much for your thoughts today um, with all of your, your sampling expertise, Jack. We really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks, Laura. Joining us today on the podcast is Brenda Miller-Sanford, and she is the Manager Administration here at Grain Farmers of Ontario and a participant in Class 17 of the Advanced Agricultural Leadership Program, otherwise known as ELP. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Brenda. Thank you for having me, Rachel. So let's start off by talking about your current role here at Grain Farmers of Ontario. What does it mean to be the manager of administration? As manager of administration, it means that we run the Grain Farmers of Ontario in a cost-effective and efficient manner. I am responsible for the technology, administrative, and operational needs of the board of directors, the staff members, and the office building. So as part of that, for the hardware part of it, we do have an inventory rollover plan. That's really important that with the technology that we keep up to date and current. And we just recently had a cyber training session for staff where we learned the importance of keeping the software on all devices up to date and current. So that means applying security patches and updates when they're available, having complex passwords and having a different password for different sites. I mean, that means a whole <laughs> lot of passwords and how to manage them. I learned that I am horrible <laughs> at uh, maintaining my passwords and I really need to change them more often. So definitely yeah. something I need to work on. So it is important to have different passwords for different sites. And then we also learned about different things to watch for in emails with the amount of spam and the phishing emails that we see. And also when we're on the internet, browsing or shopping online, you know, different things to watch for. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your time here at Grain Farmers of Ontario. Um, you actually started with the Ontario Corn Producers, and then that transitioned into Grain Farmers of Ontario after the amalgamation. So can we talk a little bit about how you first started with uh, corn producers and your 30 some odd years now, I guess? Yeah, just yeah. over 30 years. So yes, yeah. so Ontario corn producers, that goes back to when, uh, well, I was raised on a farm in Huron County and I attended Fanshawe College in London. And I remember the day that I got the phone call offering me the job for Ontario corn producers as a computer programmer at that time. 
And I was just really excited about being able to stay in the agriculture industry. So with the Ontario corn producers, I mean, my role there evolved over the years where they, you know, let me get involved in some of the consumer outreach things like setting up displays, you know, writing magazine articles and uh, also getting involved in some of the agriculture and the classroom type activities. So that through the years and uh, yeah, then we got to the point of working through the merger for Grain Farmers of Ontario. And when that happened, your title was a bit different, wasn't it? Manager projects at one point? Yes, project manager at that point as we moved into Grain Farmers of Ontario. So when we built this, not built, but when we moved into this building here, we did a major renovation and that was one of your main tasks, wasn't it? That was, yes, that was a a large project to undertake in design, you know, working with senior management to get it designed so that uh, the flow of the office would be very efficient for us. And I think it's worked out quite well. And when we talk about running an efficient organization, that's one of the reasons why we moved to this building and we, we purchased and our co-owners is because that's another cost savings. I know that was directed by our, our directors that uh, they felt that we needed to own something as opposed to renting a building. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so why don't we talk now a little bit about um, some of maybe some of the um, interesting or fun facts about your 30 plus years because there's something that I guess maybe happened along the way or that really sticks out as uh, a memory from your 30 years here. Yes when I think back to some of the times that I worked in setting up displays and that uh, there were several years that the corn soybean and wheat organizations did a joint exhibit at the international plowing match and the outdoor farm show and when I do go to some of the delegate meetings here now, I know I bump into, you know, some of the delegates I'd worked with back then, and we have we have a few chuckles. And all the one that stands out for me would have been Haldeman, you know, the Haldeman clay. It was wet. It was mucky. We were losing boots in the middle of the walkways. And uh, they were plowing soil with the graders like you would plow snow. And I remember going back to the office that day after setup with a coworker, and uh, we walked back into the office. We're just mud from head to toe. Some so. things don't change because it seems like even nowadays when we go out to some events, particularly the IPM, that yeah. it rains and it gets muddy every year. So mm-hmm. I guess some things mm-hmm. don't change. Some things don't change. <laughs> and I guess, too, the merger of the three organizations stands out for me, too, because mergers, they do, they do represent challenges, but they also bring along some opportunities, too. So just working through that and, uh, you know, working through some change management and reorganizing workspace and and just looking at to where we are today. I mean, it's been a lot of change and it's been really interesting just to watch this organization kind of continue to develop and change and, and grow over time. And there's been a lot of changes here, I guess, like in terms of staff, but there's some people around still that have been back here since, like you, since the pre-merger. So that's right. That has to be, I guess... Uh, I don't know, maybe a challenge or a bit interesting as well to see the different people come and go. And It is interesting. And I, and I do think that uh, in an organization, you do need some change because, you know, you get, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to have a fresh perspective on things. And sometimes, too, some of us that have been around for a while, it makes it makes for a good combination. And when we talk about some of the changes, I guess, with, with your job in particular, that technology side of things has probably certainly changed since you first started. It's changed a lot because I remember back when I first started in the days where, you know, dealing with some people who had never been working with a computer and trying to explain to them over a phone how to use a mouse. That's uh, That was challenging. But uh, no, today, you know, people are, are very, you know, handy with computers and the computers keep getting smaller and more powerful and 
it's it's been really neat watching these changes and i do love the drone technology i think that's really amazing yeah because we have a drone that we use to uh, demonstrations and and fly over farms and stuff like that mm-hmm. so um yeah that's it's just amazing the way that technology has has evolved so Okay, and even just simple things like a change from using BlackBerry to iPhone. That's right, yes. Yes. Um, so why don't we start talking now about your involvement with the Advanced Agricultural Leadership Program. You're a member of Class 17. Um, so you started back in October of 2017 was your first session, but it was announced earlier that year that you were going to be a member. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that program is? This program, it's an it's a it's a 19 month executive development program. It was established in 1984 through four different partners, and those were the University of Guelph, the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, and the Foundation of Rural Living. It was designed for men and women who want to broaden their horizons and expand their networks to help share then share and shape the future of the agriculture and food sectors in Ontario. So there's several skills that are learned throughout the cur- curriculum, and that's all done through the eight seminars that are held throughout Ontario, a North American study tour, an international study tour, and there's also a project that we work on called an Issues Analysis Project. So what is your Issues Analysis Project that you're doing? We're working with, me and my teammate are working with the Grey Bruce County, and we're looking at newcomer attraction and retention for that area. So is that um, refugees, immigrants, or just anybody that's new coming to that area? So they term a newcomer as anybody who is new to the area. So they do work with uh, an international student program, and also they do attract. There's a couple families from Syria that have been sponsored into the area, they have a number of people, too, that will move in, like from Toronto or London, and they're all considered newcomers. So what's the goal of that project, then, or the what's the expected outcome that you're studying? The goal is to work with some of the businesses in that area to find out what their challenges are with attracting newcomers, because typically what's happening in some of the areas, with some of the young people who grow up and decide to move away, you have a population base that's declining in a lot of areas, so they're looking at, you know, how can they fill the job vacancies that they have. So working with them is to understand the challenges that they're having to fill those vacancies and why that is. And at the end, we're going to be able to identify these challenges and working with them, maybe help come up with some different uh, opportunities to work on those. And when you mentioned the seminars that you have here in Ontario, you were just in Ottawa. Is that one of the seminars? That's seminar number six on the schedule there. So yes. So yes, based in Ottawa, and we also had our counterparts from New York State who run a similar program there. The short acronym for it is called LEAD. So they spent the entire time with us, and it was really good. We did uh, we did some tours in around the Parliament buildings, and MP Michael Chong, he did a really good job on describing for us the differences and similarities between the U.S. and Canadian government. Uh, we did a NAFTA panel discussion there, where Chief Ag Negotiator for Canada, Aaron Fowler, was a participant, as well as Iker Reyes Gondelman with the uh, Mexico Embassy, based in Ottawa. They were both very actively involved in the ag negotiation, so it was really interesting to hear their perspectives on the whole negotiation process, and they fielded the questions too from our class. What sort of questions got asked? Uh, impact on supply management, um, that's one of them. 
That's the only one I can think of right offhand. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what were some of the other topics of the seminars that uh, you've had so far? Uh, just the Ottawa one? Um, just in general, the, the you said that was number six. So what That have was number the, six. What yes. have the other ones been about? So the other ones, they have covered off a lot of different things, like running effective meetings, uh, developing effective presentations. Uh, we've had uh, a study on personality styles and how they impact relationships, both in the workplace and at home. They've had uh, facilitation sessions. We've had some media training and public speaking, training and tips, gaining a better understanding of government processes and how regulations and policies impact agriculture. Those are the kind of the main areas that we've worked on so far. That sounds like it covers a really wide range of skills and, and uh, you know, something that really anybody can could take advantage of or, or, or skills that people could use. I have found it to be very, very beneficial so far. And it has, like, those are different skills that we do need, not just, not just in the workplace, but it helps us too outside of the workplace as well. And when you mentioned the North America Study Tour, that's when you went to Texas? That was when we went to Texas. What was involved in that trip? We spent 10 days traveling around Texas. And I think one of the really neat things that stands out for me is the state of Texas is not allowed to run a deficit. So just taking a look at the state itself, you know, the infrastructure that's being built, the fact that they say there's a thousand people a day moving into Texas, their economy is booming. Um, the oil industry is, is expanding a lot. Uh, I think the whole energy sector is expanding quite a bit. So you got a sense of what the economy is like there. And, and did you have a chance to meet any uh, producers locally there? We did. We had tours out to a cotton farm where we learned about the cotton production, which which was pretty neat. Uh, learned a lot too about their cattle industry, like the Broman cattle line. That's the cattle that have that big hump on their back, which oh. is unique to that area. They, you won't find them here in Canada because they are bred for the warmer tropical climates. So they'd just be really cold and not survive the winter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, so a lot about the cattle, um, cattle, cotton. We're out into some of the sorghum fields, um, some of their corn fields as well. They've had a lot of drought down through there, so some of their corn is not doing very well. And when we talk about all these different aspects of agriculture, the ELP class itself is quite a diverse group of participants. Can you tell us a little bit about who's participating in the program with you? We have 17 class members, and there's a good number of primary producers, including our GFO director, Brendan Burney. Uh, we have people, too, from other commodity groups. Um, there's one that there's some from the agribusiness, from government, and also, I guess, from the life science companies, too. I think you'd consider them as. And your travels aren't done yet. There's still the international study tour to come. What are you expecting out of that, and where are you going? We are going to Columbia in February, and combined with that, we'll be going to Washington, D.C. as well. So in Washington, we'll be getting some tours in around the Capitol and meeting with some of their politicians there. And Columbia, I guess going to Columbia, I'm hoping to learn, you know, similar to the North American Study Tours, you know, meeting up with some of the government people there, learning, you know, what there's differences or similarities in their government structure, their processors, processes regulatory and policy type environments. Really interested in seeing what agriculture is there in Colombia. Because when we were in Ottawa, the gentleman from the Mexican embassy had put up a slide there showing the countries that Canada imports agriculture and agri-food products from. 
And in one of those top countries, Colombia was listed. So I'm interested in learning just what we're importing from Colombia as well in that perspective. That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought that Colombia would be one of those countries that's right up there. I was surprised by that too. What else would you say is perhaps um, one of the biggest things that you've learned so far in, from this program? From this program, I think the media training session was really good um, because they actually put you in front of a camera and when they trip you up a little bit and you look at it afterwards, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, <laughs> did I really say that? <laughs> Not but as a friendly uh, media as we are here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good in the respect that, that afterwards then we, as a class, we reviewed them and discussed them and identified areas where you can improve or maybe handle things differently. Looking at personality styles, leadership styles, I mean, that's, that's been really handy too, or really good. And just understanding, you know, you know, look at some of the people that you work with and understand maybe where they fit into that and uh, how they work and how you work with them. Have you also learned something about your class participants as well? It's a really good networking experience. I mean, you're spending a lot of time together. So you get, uh, you get to be quite close to some of the people. Any, um, Fun stories you want to share about uh, your travels, your interactions during one of your seminars that you've, you've had with people? One of the fun ones was the Toronto trip. So the Ontario Food Terminal was one place that we went to. I know that we were all really impressed with the place because it doesn't seem like there's very many people working there. But just the volume of products that they have moving through there and just so efficient and well run. I know that's one that we keep going back and talking about. And I guess a program like this, it kind of gets you out of the grain sphere. Like we're always so focused on barley, corn, oats, soybeans, and wheat, because that's who we represent as, as a commodity organization. So what has it been like for you sort of getting um, more knowledge about the other commodities and the other forms of agriculture, not only here in Ontario, but North America as well? Just looking at it, it gives you a bigger picture on just, you know, it's not just the grain industry that's impacted by government regs or regulations or policies. You start looking at, you know, the impacts of trade and how that affects, you know, some of the commodities like the supply managed commodities, but then looking at the grain industry too or other non-supply managed commodities. I mean, there's some really good discussions that take place on, on the impacts of that. So, and then, you know, with the travel to Texas and learning about sorghum and cotton, it's just, it's neat to learn about other aspects of agriculture. I didn't even know what sorghum was up until a couple of years ago. So <laughs> that's great. Um, this program, ELP, has had, from my understanding, 440 graduates since it started. And that's a lot of people that are now in leadership roles throughout agriculture. What would you say to somebody who might be thinking about this, taking this program themselves as a way to encourage them to actually go ahead and apply for the next, uh, next class? I would tell them that it's a really great learning opportunity not just for business, but just for a personal growth experience. I mean, it helps you work through some of the, uh, the you know, self-awareness and understanding your own personality and understanding how you work with other people. Um, I think it's really worth it. It's a lot of networking that that is really beneficial. And just the skills that you learn is just really all around beneficial. And you're gonna be wrapping up uh, in the spring. What's that gonna be like? Once you're done, because 19 months is a long time to be immersed in a program and then to come out the other side, it's almost going to be like there'll be that void now. <laughs> so after 19 months, uh, 
looking forward to continue applying the skills that I've learned. I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing with the networking that I've developed and keeping in contact with my classmates. And the program just recently got a new a new leader, is that correct? Because it used to be Rob Black, but then he's moved on to the Senate. So um, how has that been going with the new the new program leader? So the new program leader is Gabrielle Ferguson. So we met up with her in Ottawa, and I know that she's taking a look at the program and looking at kind of reimagining it right now and looking to bring some change to it um, just to continue improving it. Um, she's had a lot to learn, and she's actually a graduate of the ELT program. She was in class 15. And Rob Black, who was recently appointed to the Senate this summer, yes, he was our, our leader, and he did meet up with us while we were in Ottawa. So we did have a, a special tour of the Senate, thanks to Rob. Wow, some uh, inside connections Some there. inside connections. And the other neat thing, too, is that Rob, along with two other senators, Senator uh, Diane Griffin and also Senator Martha Deacon, they all joined us for an evening in Ottawa when we had a dinner there. In addition to the Minister of Agriculture and Food, Lawrence uh, McCauley, Wow. So it sounds like you're you're meeting lots of interesting people and having some really great experiences with, with the ELT program. It is a great experience, yes. And you do meet a lot of people, a lot of neat connections that you make. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast, Brenda. Um, it's great to hear about, about this program, and it's something that hopefully uh, will continue on and that some of our Movie Farmer members like Brendan Burney can uh, get involved with as well. Thank you for having me. Coming up next on the podcast, we speak with the chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario, Marcus Hurl. Joining us now on the podcast is Marcus Hurl, chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario, and he's on the phone from his farm in St. Isidore. Welcome to the podcast this week, Marcus. Yes, good afternoon. Um, we want to start talking first about uh, the weather and how that's been impacting harvest and the situation with dawn and corn that a lot of farmers are struggling with. Uh, why don't you start with talking about what things are like on your farm there in eastern Ontario? Uh, yes, uh, I certainly can talk about harvest challenges this year. Um, we went from uh, thinking that perfect weather is going to persist through uh, through the fall season since we had such a nice, warm, dry summer. Uh, it certainly changed uh, completely 180 degrees around, and uh, now we're into more precipitation uh, as expected. And uh, I think there is probably already some harvest delays that are happening with the, the more moisture that we're getting. Um, for us, uh, we're um, actually moving along in a timely fashion, not so bad, but we did get some uh, snow already come through here in the area. And uh, uh, the corn crop seems to be uh, average and uh, quality here in eastern Ontario seems to be actually good. Uh, now, if we're uh, looking at different parts of the province, um, with some of the uh, weather patterns that we had this summer, some of the uh, um, the corn uh, is now being reported that some uh, higher than normal dawn levels, uh, vomitoxins, are in the corn. So it uh, creates a lot of frustration and challenges for, first of all, for the farmers to get this crop off the field and uh, marketing it, and then also the processors of how they can use this higher-than-normal vomitoxin corn 
uh, into the processes that they uh, that they're doing. And uh, so, with uh, saying this, uh, Grain Farmers Ontario is working with the stakeholders to find uh, solutions and uh, come up with some strategies and plans to work with the farmers to get this crop off and uh, finding a home for it. And Marcus, do you find that most years when one part of the province has this issue with Dawn and vomitoxin that other parts don't? It, uh, it's sometimes regional specific, but this year uh, it's actually showing up more or less across the province. And um, this becomes a more uh, urgent issue to be addressed because of some of the processes are going to look for uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the corn that doesn't have high levels and uh, probably are already discounting some of the uh, higher vomitoxin level corn uh, significantly, uh, which is going to hit the bottom line of the farmer at the end. And another thing that we're expecting to hit the bottom line of farmers is this carbon tax that's being implemented by the federal government and Grain Farmers of Ontario is urging the government to reconsider that carbon tax. What's the perspective of the board on that, Marcus? Well, as uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario, the, uh, the, the board is not in favour of this uh, carbon tax implementation because of in the farming industry, we do not have any way of offsetting those carbon taxes that are being put on uh, because our marketplace does not allow us to set price higher to offset the extra cost that we're occurring through it. And on top of it, uh, the Ontario government uh, actually revoked the, uh, the carbon tax and it was a well-seen uh, decision from them to uh, take that uh, step and uh, opening it back up to uh, to the marketplace to basically find its own way. On a more positive note, Marcus, the ratification of the CPTPP has gone through this week. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's actually fantastic news. Uh, we, um, I, I believe in the last or second last uh, podcast, we talked about uh, uh, distortions of... Um, uh, of trade within uh, the new world that we're living in and uh, regaining some uh, new market accesses uh, without any tariffs or a reduction in tariffs is actually good news for our grain and oilseed sector because uh, we're always looking for new markets around the world, especially because ca- Canada and Ontario, we're producing some of the uh, best quality crops that are usable for uh, countries that, uh, that are sourcing them around the world. Thanks for taking time to talk with us today, Marcus. I hope the weather clears up for you to be able to finish your harvest. You're more than welcome. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. We want to give a special thank you to our guests this week, Jack Legg, Brenda Miller-Sanford, and Marcus Hurl. Also, thanks to our producer, Mark Carter. Help us grow our Grain Talk podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play.